My wife is doing sound, so if somehow I get muted, you know that I'm, <laughs> you know why. I think I treated her well this morning and last night, so I guess we'll find out as we go along here. Well, good morning, everyone. You know, it was uh, interesting just listening to Jeff as he talks about, can you believe it already that it's February and that we're going to be celebrating Valentine's Day and the Lent is starting? I mean, it seemed like January just was here and gone really quickly. Um, We're really moving along. And I think something else probably that is also here and gone is if you think about health clubs, at the beginning of January, health clubs just get packed with people. Everyone's coming there, doing their New Year's resolution, ready to say, yes, let's get in shape. And pretty much by now, at the beginning of February, they're gone. And you don't see as many people there anymore. And if you think about it, I mean, we are a culture that definitely puts a lot on making sure we stay healthy physically, stay in shape. I mean, we're almost sometimes obsessed with it. It seems like everywhere I look, you know, there's another story about how you should eat this or how you should eat that or what you shouldn't eat or how you should exercise. I mean, we're just constantly focused on that. And I think there's a very good reason for that. If you take a look at the chart This is a a chart that Jeff used last week in his sermon. I think it's a really good representation of really all the different aspects of who we are as people. And as you can see in there, the body is right there in the middle. And so we know that when our bodies don't function right, when we don't feel right, when we're sick, that so many of us have experienced in the last couple months with the flu going on, then when our body's not right, You know, our moods are off, we don't feel like we can do what we want to do, our relationships get off with each other, and so this chart really shows the importance of where our body falls in that. And also, if you take a look at what we've been going through, we're in Luke 5 now, and we've been going through a number of different stories. Jesus is just starting his ministry, and in Luke 4, he declares and and says, this is who my ministry is to, I'm going to come and proclaim the news, I'm going to set the captives free. And then you start looking at these different stories we've been through in the last few weeks in Luke, and what do you see Jesus primarily doing? He's coming and he's healing people's bodies. He takes seriously that our bodies, when they're not functioning right, they prevent us from being fully human. When Jeff preached last week, we see a shift that occurs. When Jesus takes a paralyzed man, and he says to that paralyzed man, he says, be healed, stand up and walk. And this paralyzed man who's been paralyzed probably his entire life gets up and walks. But Jesus says something else too, which I think comes to this diagram we're looking at here. Jesus also says, your sins are forgiven. And we see that for Jesus, he has come not just to heal our bodies, but much more importantly, he's come to heal all of us and to set us free, to give us that forgiveness of sins that can restore our relationship with God and can give us eternal life again with Christ. And so as we look at our story today, what I want us to consider is it's very easy for us to focus on staying healthy in our body. But what I want us to think about today as we read this story is how do we stay healthy spiritually, not just physically? And there's many different means of spiritual. Um, Here I want to focus on what Jesus means by spiritual. And so really I want to focus on how do we stay healthy in Christ? And I think our story today we're going to look at in Luke is going to give us some insight into that. So if you can, I want you to turn to page 861 in your pew Bible. 
And we're going to be looking at the story of when Jesus calls, it might say the heading, Jesus calls Levi. So page 861, we're going to be looking at and reading verses 27 through 32. And let me open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we're here to worship you. We thank you that we can just laugh, that we can praise you. And Father, as we open up your word, I pray that we will not just be people who hear that word, but help us to understand what you have to say to us today so we can do your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 5, 27 through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So to begin with, you can see this starts right out where Jesus says, after this, they went out. This is the story following what Jeff talked about last week. After this, they went out and they saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, Levi is most likely, people think, is also Matthew, who is a, one of the apostles that wrote um, our Gospel of Matthew. Here he's identified as Levi. They're not 100% sure, but that's what they think. It's the same person. But notice who Levi is. Levi is a tax collector. I think even today, when we hear the word tax collector, we go, ugh. <laughs> we definitely don't want a tax collector coming to our house. And that's pretty rare today. I mean, when we think ta collecting taxes, we think of obviously the IRS, and we're all in that mode right now where we're doing our taxes, getting ready to file them. But we also pay taxes um, without really thinking about it. You know, when we go to the grocery store and buy something, when we go to Best Buy and buy something, whenever we purchase something, we're paying some type of tax. Well, back in the time of Jesus, there were people who their profession was being a tax collector. And the way that it worked is Rome wanted to collect all these taxes from people. And so you had this sort of hierarchy of tax collectors. You had at the very top, which were always Roman citizens, you have what were called publicans. And they were the ones that were in charge of hiring a bunch of tax collectors to go out and collect taxes in different ways in different forms. And those tax collectors would then bring that money to the publicans who would then take it to Rome. But now the tax collectors had to make money for themselves, provide for their families. The way they got money they would ask you, when they would say, you owe me this amount of tax, they put onto that amount of tax money for themselves. Okay, so they decided for themselves when they said, I'm going to collect taxes from you, how much they were going to take of that for themselves. So you can just imagine how easy it would be for those tax collectors to become corrupt and for where they would end up taking more than what maybe people thought they should have. And they were looked at by, particularly by the Jews, as sinners, in part, because they thought they were being corrupted. They were having to pay all these taxes. They didn't want to pay the taxes, and there was a corruption going on. So that sort of sets the scene for you. And so you can imagine Jesus looked at as a teacher, all right, a Jewish teacher, for him to be calling someone who's not a Jew and say, follow me, 
to become his disciples. So the word follow me here, this was something very common back in Jesus' day. Teachers and rabbis would call disciples and say, you want to be my disciple? Come and follow me. Some people would go up to, to uh, rabbis and say, hey, can I follow you? I like you as a teacher. And so this was something common that would happen. What wasn't common is for Jesus as a Jew to go up to a tax collector of all people and say, follow me. And what's interesting is notice what happens here. Look, and I just love the brevity of our text. It says, Jesus comes up to Levi. He says, follow me. And without any hesitation, it says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So here was someone who said, wow, I'm looking. There's something about this Jesus. And he's calling me a tax collector, and I want to follow him. So immediately, and when you would follow someone back in those days, you would leave everything. You would leave your business. A lot of times you would leave your family, and you would go follow and then become a disciple of that person. That's exactly what Levi is doing here. So Levi, happy this is going on and thinking, wow, here's this religious Jew who has now called me. I want to invite him to dinner with all these other tax collectors so that we can feast together. And notice what it says, and Levi made a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And then they had some type of meal. Now at this point, the Pharisees and the scribes, I can tell you, they might have been outside they might have been somewhere else, but they were not having the meal with those people. In fact, we can see that right here. This would have happened. They would have, maybe when they were done with the meal and they walked out, these Pharisees and scribes are probably just sitting there waiting to just pounce on the disciples and pounce on Jesus. Because what do they do? They say, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, complained at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, how in the world could you do that? How could you eat with these people who are sinners? As a Jew, we are ones who are supposed to be separated from sinners. We're supposed to be separated from those who corrupt. We're supposed to be separated from those who are not Jews. And so here Jesus is eating with those who are identified as not Jews and ones who are identified as tax collectors or sinners. And so what you see happening here is you see what we still do a lot of today. And Jeff talks about this when he talks about the vision we have for our church. What is going on here is you have people, in essence, drawing fences. And they're saying, you know what? I'm going to put this fence, and if you believe this, if you do this, you're in. If you don't, you're out. All right? And so here for the Pharisees and the scribes, they're saying, you know what? If you are a sinner, if you're a tax collector, often if you're not a Jew, you're out. You're not on my side of the fence. I don't associate with you. And in fact, eating together or fellowship was the number one way that people said, we have fellowship, we eat together. We are in the same side of the fence. You know, think about how we still do that today. We tend to divide people and we tend to say, you know what, if you're this or that, you're out. And if you're this or this, believe what I believe, then you're in. And we tend to draw these fences. And so what happens with the Pharisees and scribes is they're saying, there's no way, Jesus, you should be doing this. And so what does Jesus do? He answers them because they're saying, why are you doing this? Why are you eating with these people? And then Jesus says this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
I like the NIV, that's the ESV. I like the NIV rendering of this. It makes a little bit more sense. It says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Once again, I think a lot of us can relate to that today. I mean, with the flu epidemic going around, with so many of us who've been sick, I was sick. So many of us have been struggling right now. We know people who, right now in our congregation, we know people in our staff who've been very sick with the flu. And we know that when you're sick, you know it. You know when you're well. And as it says here, what do you do when you're sick? You go to this person that you hope can heal you. You go to a physician. And that's what Jesus is saying here, is when you're sick, you need to have a physician. You need to have someone to take care of you. You need to have someone to heal you. And I just want to take a moment to pray for those uh, who are sick right now, that they'll be healed. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we just do lift up all those that we know and even those that we don't, Lord. So many who are struggling right now with this flu, you are the great physician. And we pray that your healing hand will come upon those people, that you will make them well. And I pray for all those in our congregation here right now, Lord, that you will protect us from that sickness, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you look here, what Jesus is doing is he's now going to be setting up. He says, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. He is setting up, which we're going to find out is a metaphor. This is what Jesus does a lot. Is he, he tells us and tries to get us to understand the ways of God by painting a picture, by telling a story, by giving us a metaphor. And the reason why metaphors, and Jesus does with parables, in fact, this is sort of a mini parable we're looking at right here. What Jesus does, he says, I want you to understand not just things from the worldly perspective, but I want you to understand the things of God. I want you to understand where I'm coming from as your Lord. And so what he does is he will draw these metaphors. And what a metaphor does is it takes something very familiar to us in the world that we all understand, and he connects it to something that is spiritual or of God or of heaven to give us a heavenly, godly perspective of it. And that's what Jesus is going to do here. So he takes a worldly perspective. We can all understand I'm either well or I'm sick. If I'm well, I don't need to go to a physician. If I'm sick, I need to go to a physician. And so then what does he do? He tells these Pharisees that are grumbling at him. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He is now connecting the righteous and sinners to being sick or not. So look at the connection he's making, okay? And it should sort of in our minds, it should just connect. In this case, who are the righteous? Are they the well or sick? What do you think? They're the well, okay? So the righteous, so Jesus is saying the righteous are the well, in my illustration, my metaphor I'm giving you. The sick are the sinners. And then who is the physician that he's trying to show here. Who is the physician? Jesus is the physician. Okay, so you see how he does that connection? He's saying, okay, if you're righteous, then you're well. He's looking at the Pharisees and saying, okay, you're calling yourself righteous because you're calling these other people sinners, so you must be well. 
and these other people must be sick. And guess what? I've come. Jesus Christ has come to heal and to come to those who are in sin, to heal them. Now, when, you, when I say that, think back what I talked about with offense. When you think of offense, it sounds again like Jesus is sort of doing the same thing. He's like making offense. He's saying, okay, those who are righteous are over here, and those who are sinners are over here. And okay, you Pharisees think you're righteous, you're well, great, but you know what? I've come over here to call the sinners. That's what he's setting up. But now I want you to realize, and as we look at this, that what Jesus is doing, he's not really, it looks like he's drawing a fence, but we're going to find out he really doesn't. Because I want to do a little checkup now, all right? I want to do a checkup like a doctor does, but I want to do a checkup spiritually based on what the Word of God says, based on what Jesus is doing here. So I want to look at a passage in Scripture that would have been very familiar to the Pharisees and scribes, very familiar to Jesus in the Old Testament, and it's actually quoted in the book of Romans. So this is Romans 3. So think of this as a checkup. So we know how a doctor comes and checks us up, you know, physically. Well, this is a checkup for us spiritually. To ask ourselves, are we well? Are we righteous and well? Or are we sick and we're a sinner? And this is what Scripture tells us. Romans 3, 9 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. The Jews being the Pharisees and scribes here. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Now, when it says Jews and Greeks here, you can also think Jews and Gentiles. Really, at this point in the Bible, the world's pretty much divided into those who are Jews and the rest of the world are Gentiles. Here, the Greek means the same word. So he's really saying, let's take a look at all the people in the world. They're either a Jew or they're a Greek. And guess what? They're all under sin. And look what it says. He then quotes Psalm 14 and 53. Paul quotes in here, quoting these verses where it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. So if I use that as my checkup, where does that leave everyone? It leaves everyone as sinners. It leaves everyone as being sick. It leaves everyone as in need of a physician. And that's exactly the message that Jesus is giving to the Pharisees and scribes, saying, I've come to call the sick. You guys think you're righteous? Guess what? You're not. We're all in the same boat. We all need that physician. And so where it looked like Jesus was drawing a fence, He's really not. What he's really doing, and going back to what Jeff, he talked about this in our congregation meeting, as really the vision for our church is not to be a church that draws fences, but a church that invites everyone to the same well. And so here, Jesus is saying, you know what? All of you are sick. All of you are sinners. All of you need me to come and heal you. All of you need to come to the well and drink from me, who's the living water of life. And so where Jesus appeared at first to say he drew a fence, he didn't draw a fence at all. He really is saying, I have come for everyone, for everyone to come to this well to drink from, to get eternal life and salvation through me. So I just love how Jesus does this here. It's just, it's beautiful. He's really talking about 
everybody is to come to him. That is why he's come. That's why he's died on the cross. That's why he's come to save us from our sins and forgive us from our sins because everyone was in this state. As we take a look at our passage, I want you to notice the very last sentence there. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He now tells us how do we go see the physician? How do we get better? All right. And there's a word that's used in scripture that says, this is what we have to do. When we realize we're sick, when we, we realize we're in sin, when we realize we've turned away from God, the word to turn back is repent. In fact, when you think of repent, and the word repent that he uses here, repentance, is really metanoia. And what repentance means is really the opposite of, of what verse 12 says here. Notice how it says, all have turned aside or turned away from God. What repentance means is change of heart or change of mind. It's really about saying, I'm going to not turn aside from God, I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to turn to Jesus and say, I need help. That's what repentance really is, is turning to that. Now, I don't know, when you think of the word repent, when people say repent, does anybody think come to mind when you hear that in that sort of tone? I mean, when I think of that, I think of that guy standing on the, you know, the curb, okay? Remember that? With a big white sign that says, repent. And we've gotten sort of a negative view a lot of times of that, of repentance. Repentance is actually beautiful because repentance is about saying, I'm sick and I need to be well. It's about saying, I need to turn to Jesus. I need my sins to be forgiven. And in fact, I think it's interesting that repentance is the last word here. The very first word that Jesus says is, follow me, follow. The very last word is repent. How do we follow Jesus? We do so by repenting and by turning to him. And repentance really has two different ways that repentance is used in Scripture. The first way repentance is used is to mean conversion. It's the way in which you first came to become a Christian, the way you first accepted Christ. When you first said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need you, and he gave you that eternal life and he brought that spirit inside of you. That is the first meaning of repentance. And that's what you see Scripture talk about, like when Peter in Acts 2. He preaches to the Jews and the Gentiles there. He tells them about Christ. He says, this is who your Lord and Savior is, is Jesus Christ. And they hear this message and they go, what do we do, Peter? What do we do? And Peter says, repent, turn, turn to Jesus and he will save you. And I think all of us who have that faith in Christ, and we did that through our initial repentance. That's what repentance means, is conversion in that case. Now, here is the second meaning of repentance. And in fact, <laughs> Jeff just talked about this way. He talked about Ash Wednesday. He said, you know, when we come and we, we celebrate Ash Wednesday, it's not about, you know, that we need to ask for forgiveness for our sins or confess our sins or, in essence, repent from our sins. We need to be doing that every single day. And that is really the other meaning of repentance. Repentance says, Every day, now that I've become a Christian, it's just like, oh, my sins are forgiven, I just keep living life like I usually do. No, repentance is this way that we are constantly asking and looking in our lives and saying, how can I become more like Christ? When we were saved, when we placed our faith in Christ, 
Jesus says you have become holy at that point. I don't know if you realize it. Every one of us who place our faith in Christ are holy in the eyes of God. That's why we now have a relationship with God. But as much as he has made us holy, the Bible now says we need to learn to walk in that holiness. We need to learn to become more holy. We need to learn to take away those aspects of our life that now that we've been forgiven of the sins, no longer walk in those sins. And so the other meaning of repentance is this constant daily looking at ourselves, asking, how can I follow Jesus better? How can I become more holy? How can I turn away from those things that are still taking hold of me in this world that I don't want to take hold of me, and how can I turn to him? And I think an illustration that gives us an idea of how that repentance works, that daily repentance, is I, I just love it now in the last couple months as we come into church, what are we seeing new here? We're seeing new babies. <laughs> We're seeing all these new babies that have been born recently. And we see all these little kids, okay, as these little babies as she's holding one right now. As we see these little babies, what's going to happen next? As they start growing up, the very first thing they start to do is they learn to what? They learn to walk. And have you ever watched a little baby who just is starting to learn to walk? It's very much like what we are like when we are first become a Christian and there's still a lot of our lives that we need to repent of. And so you can think of repentance as like a little baby walking, just starting to walk. And what happens, let's pretend like the mother's up there, all right, and I'm the little baby and I'm just learning to walk for the very first time. Do I just go like this? Hi, mom, here I come. No. <laughs> what's it more like? It's more like I'm sitting there going, all right, I'm going to try to get to, well, well, have mom, okay, I hear you, and you can hear mom calling, come over here, come over here, and you just sort of see the little kid learning to walk. But over time, the little kid learns, the little child learns to say, there's my mom, there's my dad, and they can run straight to them. That's what repentance is like in our lives, is we start out taking something that we're in sin that, that we need to have been struggling with, and we call upon God and we say, Lord, help me, and we turn and set our eyes on God. And when we do, He, through that Spirit, helps us to learn to walk. And you know, as we get even more and more mature as Christians, we can take for granted sometimes that we might still get thrown off path someone might sort of push us or something will come in our lives that will sort of push us off path. And we have to learn to say, wait a minute, turn my eyes back unto Jesus and learn to walk straight. And then I can start following him in that area of my life. And so that's the area of repentance that all of us, I think, every day to look at our lives and say, how can I walk more holy? How can I be more and more like Christ? And as we do that, as we start walking that straight line, I have one caution for us. And the Bible has one caution for us. Because as we start walking in certain areas and saying, you know, I'm following God pretty well. I'm reading my Bible every day. Or I'm praying, or I'm going to morning prayer, you know, six days a week. Or I look at my life and I think, you know, I'm doing pretty good. And then we see someone who's not, a fellow Christian. And we can very easily tend to judge others in areas where they have not learned to walk in the same way we've learned to walk. And the Bible has a really good passage about that. I thought of this passage because 
at our elder retreat, Gary Smith brought this passage up. And it's a really good reminder to us as Christians as how we are to help each other walk in repentance. And notice what it says. It says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. We either have done the same things or we're still maybe doing the same things in which we look at a brother or sister in Christ and we say, you know, you, you need to repent. You need to get straight. And we can come down really too hard on people. And yet the Bible says how we're supposed to act towards others. It says, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, God's kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that what? What leads us to repentance? It is God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance. And so when you see someone else struggling in a certain area, really what we want to do is bring God's kindness to them to help them to see where they need to walk straighter. We need to like grab onto them and say, here, let me help you. Let me help you to walk straighter and come alongside them and treat them with that kindness to help them become more and more like Christ. So as I end, I want to just sort of give us a couple ways to be thinking about how do we live this life, this life of walking in this repentance, this life as we do this. This is how we become healthy spiritually. This is how we become healthy in Christ. We know how to do it pretty well physically, whether we do it or not. This is how we learn to be healthy in Christ. And so for Christmas, as a way to think about this, my wife, speaking of healthy these days, a lot of us are wearing these little digital watches these days. Uh, my wife, for Christmas, got me an Apple Watch. And one of the things that the Apple Watch is known for is to help you become more fit physically, all right, because it's tracking your movements and how much exercise you have. And so what the Apple Watch does is it has these three circles, called activity circles. And what it does is the circles start out being not close. I mean, the whole thing's opened. You don't have these circles closed. It starts out just at the top with a little bit of red, a little bit of green, a little bit of blue. And they represent how much you stand up or sit down is the blue. The middle one represents how much exercise, you know, you're getting how aerobic you're being. And then the top one represents how much movement, moving around you do. And your, your goal is, is it every day to learn to close the circles, all right? Where you do enough of each of those that you then, if you just do that, it's saying, okay, you're, you're, you're learning to be healthy today. It's a good reminder. Well, I want to think of that in terms of what we talked about today. I'm going to give you three circles that we should try to close every day. And here they are. As we've been talking about looking at this passage again and thinking about how we can be healthy in Christ, Here's three ways we can think about every day to be healthy in him. The first way is to walk in repentance, which we've been talking about. James um, 5.16 is a great passage because it talks about how we are in walking in repentance. We are to have, take others and we're to confess our sins to others and pray for others. And Galatians 5 talks about walking in the spirit. The second one is how can we lay down our life for others every day? 
It says in, in, says in John there, 1 John, which we all mostly think of John 3.16, but it says in 1 John, the way that we can do this, the way we can lay down our lives, this is how we know love is when we lay down our lives for others like Jesus laid down his life for us. Every time we do a little thing where we say, I'm not going to be selfish, I'm going to choose instead to give up my life for someone else. I'm going to decide I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to do this for another person. All these little ways closes our circle. And the last one is standing up for Christ. Matthew 10, 32 says, every time you acknowledge Christ before others, share Christ with someone else, Jesus acknowledges us before his Father. And it says the way we can have Christ abide in us is when we simply share Christ with others, whether they're believers or whether they're not, how can we share Christ with others? And so you know what? If you focus on those every day, that's how you can stay healthy in Christ by keeping those things in mind, looking at our lives, and then going alongside others and helping them in their lives. So I hope today this will be a motivation for all of us, not just to stay healthy physically, but also in Christ.